Hi, everyone, and we're back to the Neil Haley Show, and I'm excited to welcome first my co-host, Juan Aliman. He is from the 80s Hour podcast. He's my co-host for today, and the guest we have today is going to get, is you're really excited about because you're a huge fan, Juan, so go ahead and introduce our guest. I, I am. I'm a, a little bit taken aback. Uh, good morning. Uh, my name is Juan Aleman. I, I am the host of the 80s Hour podcast, and I am very happy to introduce to you Ms. Debbie Boone, how are you this morning, Debbie? I am doing well. Happy to be with you guys. Absolutely. We're excited to be with you as well, Debbie. And I'm just going to pass it right back to Juan, but I just wanted to say, you know, one question I would ask is, you know, there's different Boones. Are you related to Daniel Boone? Just wanted to know that. If you have well, I have, I've never seen an official, you know, a real official uh, family tree, but my dad has always said, as if it were fact, that uh, Daniel Boone is his fourth great uncle, and he seems to have some sort of verification for that, but I have not seen it. <laughs> <laughs> and and you, uh, you have no relation to Pat Boone, do you? Pat Boone? Yeah. Oh, yeah. A big oh. relation. <laughs> I'm oh, one I of his that. four daughters. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> see, this is how much I know about those things. I've had Pat on my show, by the way. Oh, he's a phenomenal guy. Great guy. Okay, so I just want All right, so we'll just jump right back to Juan uh, with the first question. Great. Yes. Uh, hi, Debbie. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. I've got to tell you, when I was a youngster, um, I had one of the first, because I'm a little bit older too, I had an eight track of You Light Up My Life. <laughs> I had um, I had the entire album. It was on eight track and I would listen to you over and over. I'm just uh, taken aback just to be talking to you. So thank you so much for that. Oh, like I say, I'm very happy to uh, to be able to talk to you. Yes, and you started out in the business very young. Um, you and and your family, you started touring with your family around the age of 14. Is that right? That's correct. Okay, and um, here you are. You're 20, 21. You get the song, You Light Up My Life. It becomes a hit. I mean, just a mega hit. What were you thinking at that time, at that age, um, with all that coming to you like that? Well, it was uh, kind of uh, otherworldly when it took off. It did. It did not seem real. It seemed like I was in a dream, and you know that I would certainly wake up, and it would have been fun while I was imagining it. <laughs> but it just kept coming, um, you know. And as it was climbing the charts, and then staying number one for one week, then two weeks, then three weeks, and all the way up to 10 weeks, breaking every record up to that point. It was like it was happening to somebody else. This could not be happening to me. Um, and, you know, it launched my career. I had the only experience I had was being one of four girls on a stage, you know, as a family act. And then suddenly I had a solo career. Um, and wow. it, it was uh, life altering, to say the least. Now, between 77 and like 89, you were constantly releasing music, everything from like, um, like pop to, to country to contemporary Christian, which I found to be very interesting. Um, I grew up in Texas and, uh, I, and I was part of a youth group and we listened to a lot of contemporary Christian music. Some of the artists I listened to in the 80s were like Petra, uh, David Meese, uh, Michael W. Smith, um, sure. Carmen, Russ yeah. Taft. Um, 
what led you down that path uh, coming from like you light up my life to say, I'm going to do contemporary Christian. Well, I think I was probably raised much like you in youth groups and in a Christian home. And it was always a very um, kind of central part of my life. Uh, I never intended to become a contemporary Christian music artist as a, a career, but since music was uh, the way that I expressed myself, uh, I wanted, especially because my dad had formed a, a, a contemporary Christian record label called Lamb and Lion. So it was the perfect opportunity for me to sing about my faith. And then uh, it just, the timing of it was when, you know, that kind of music was really finding its place. Uh, you know, it, it really had a, a very broad audience. And so nobody, would, again, was more surprised than I was that my Christian music also had a big following and I won a couple of Grammys yes. in, that, in that field. Um, but then it sort of labeled me, um, you know, and I had never really intended to make a big pivot um, from, uh, from pop music to Christian music. Um, but even now, if you go on any of the streaming services and get any of my music that isn't even, you know, of that uh, theme, it mm -hmm. says Christian music <laughs> or Christian <laughs> artists. Yes, <laughs> even, even in the Wikipedia it does. So that's yeah. where the, the, the surprise comes, you know, in different genres of music. It cracks me up when I'm driving on the road and listening to different songs saying, oh, I know that song. Now, yeah. when you talk about the one that topped the charts, I think everyone who's anyone, regardless of what kind of music they've listened to, has heard that song. Would you agree? Has it been played in any movies too? Do you have any idea all those different places that, that, that your song has been played? Uh, I don't really know if it has been in the background of other movies. I know that uh, Lily Tomlin had a uh, really successful one woman show and it, uh, it, it, it was featured in her show um, and it certainly has gotten airplay over the years. And I think um, in Billboard, it, it was number seven uh, over, a, uh, I don't know, like the top 50 in 100 years or something like that. <laughs> wow. I do know there was an 80s. What, it was a TV movie with Didi Khan called You Light Up My Life. Oh, yeah. That's where it came from. Mm -hmm. And that it, uh, it was already in the movie. Um, not with my voice on it. Um, and they, oh. they brought the song to me to re-record to the exact same track uh, that was on the film. And, and uh, I had the single release at the same time that the movie was released. Now, one thing I do find super impressive is that you got married September 1st, 1979. You're still married to the same gentleman. You have four children. How do you keep that going? Um, so many years of happiness. Congratulations on that. Thank you so much. Um, you know, I, I was very fortunate to find a really great guy uh, at my very young age. Uh, we got married when I was 24 years old. Um, and he's got a very even temper. And um, he was a great dad to, to our kids. And we share a faith and we laugh a lot. And, you know, it's not to say that we haven't had some, you know, bumpy times. I think every marriage does, but both of us had a very strong commitment 
to our marriage and to each other. And uh, we worked through those things. So um, here 42 years later, um, you know, we share all of these memories and we have our, our kids and their spouses and our grandkids over to our home every Sunday for Sunday dinner. And it's just a, a really beautiful thing. And I feel really, really uh, blessed that I get to enjoy this. That's wow, that's great. Yeah, that's, that's tremendous. And I think that the importance of family, what would you say to our audience right now, the importance of family to you? Well, you know, I, I cannot imagine, I, especially, you know, in the kind of tumultuous times that we are living in now, I cannot imagine not having my family to uh, support me and me support them and to go through things together. And, um, you know, I come from a very strong family. Uh, you know, we were raised, um, you know, with family being a very, you know, a top priority. And uh, we did the same kinds of things. I mean, we were church going family, we were uh, kids that got on our knees and prayed at night before we went to bed. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm very close to my extended family, my sisters and I zoom every Friday uh, to stay connected. That's one of the great things that came, you know, uh, out of uh, something that seemed unimaginably horrific, like this pandemic has been. Um, and, you know, up comes Zoom and and I'm able to see my sisters, two of uh, whom live out of the state, and we, we're together once a week now. Wow. Um, now, later on, uh, after music, and well, you still do music, and you have a swing time. I think that was released uh, a few years ago, or is it recent? Well, it, it's called Swing This, and it was released. Yes. It was released several years back, but never got good distribution. And I'm still out there doing um, my live show of Swing This. And Time Life um, graciously decided to pick it up and redistribute to all the streaming platforms so that people can actually hear it this time. <laughs> um, and the music is timeless. That's why I have no kind of um, awkwardness in, in saying, you know, it, we made the record several years back, but now it's being re-released because it's, uh, I had this idea because I, I uh, my dad was in Las Vegas um, back in the sixties in that kind of classic golden age of Las Vegas. And as a family, we'd visit him once a year when he played there. And I, that's where I really had my kind of awakening to who I wanted to be and what I wanted to do. Uh, was because of the kind of music that I was hearing coming out of the showrooms and the lounges of Las Vegas. And I wanted this uh, record to reflect that fabulous music, the American Songbook, but with exciting horn-driven arrangements. Um, and uh, so I created that record, but just didn't get great distribution. So I'm thrilled that it is now available and I'm doing shows this year of that very music. We'll talk about working with Time Life. It's got it's it's amazing what they're doing, right? With digitally remastering everything and then having the availability for people to listen and stream your music anytime, and it's a great it, option. It really is great, and I've you know I've done commercials for them before, and I have nothing but good things to say about them, and I'm just grateful to have this opportunity 
now and and a lot of my you know fans who didn't get to hear it first time around and who has a cd player anymore <laughs> so <laughs> so it's great that you know you can just go to one of those streaming platforms and hear one song or hear the whole album and i've gotten lots of great feedback since it was released again <laughs> you did a lot of acting stage and television um what uh, of those two, do you like better? What, what, um, I mean, what kind of drives you when, when you pick a project like, um, like Greece or Seven Brides for Seven Brothers or? <laughs> well, um, you know, all of those things, when they come your way, you, you, for me, um, I think, oh my gosh, I've never done anything like this before. Can I do it? And there's something sort of scary, but exciting about uh, you know taking a leap of faith. Um, and Seven Brides for Seven Brothers was the very first stage thing I ever did. And I had no idea if I was capable of it or not. And it turned out to be one of the great joys of my career and life really was working with a company of talented singers and dancers and telling a story eight shows a week, traveling around the road. Uh, one of my best friends in the whole world I met doing Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, um, and he's like an uncle to my kids uh, to this day. Uh, we adore him. And um, so Seven Brides brought me that. Greece was completely an off-the-wall choice. But again, you know, I was 40 years old and back in high school. I mean, who gets a chance to do that? <laughs> <laughs> and it was I was playing Rizzo, which was completely against type. Um, and it was a challenge and great fun. Um, I love the opportunities that I have gotten to act. But I have to say that live uh, musical stage performance um, would be a great love for me of, of all of it because of the collaboration of working in a company. There's just nothing more fun. It wow. seems like it seems like it for sure, and it's something that uh, d drives you that you have mul you're multifaceted, uh, and that's that that does make, doesn't make things dull for you, right? You can do multiple exactly, uh, exactly. Yeah, I've had a, a very rich and uh, you know a variety of opportunities in my career that have just made it never a dull moment. <laughs> Now, I did uh, notice that you have written several books. Uh, what, in, what inspires the books that you write? Well, the first book um, that I wrote, I was, you know, it was in the peak of my fame in the 70s. And I was approached by several different publishing companies to write an autobiography. And it just seemed like what a ridiculous thing to do, you know, at 24, 25 years old. Um, but there was uh, an audience for it. And, uh, you know, the publisher said, people want to know what brought you to this point in your life. Um, and I, so I entitled it Debbie Boone So Far. Uh, and I'm glad I entitled it that because I am certainly not the Debbie Boone that wrote that book. Um, that was who I was at that time in my life. And thank God I've grown up a lot and I see things differently. And so I look back and, and there's a, 
like anybody, if you look back at an old hairstyle and you go, what was I thinking? <laughs> you know, so I look back at that book and I, you know, you think, you know, a lot at 24 and 25 years old. Um, and uh, the older I have gotten, the less I know. Uh, <laughs> so, um, you know, it's out there. It was honest and honest expression of who I was then. Um, and then the real joy for me was writing children's books, which I still love because they were directly out of my experience of raising my own kids. And uh, I hope that my husband and I can get it together to put some more children's books out there from a grandparent perspective, because that's where I live right now. And uh, it would be a great and fun expression of what we get to enjoy in our lives as grandparents with our grandkids. Um, so I like writing from right where I'm at. Um, and uh, that's where all my books have come from. And I hope that, like I say, I hope I get uh, to do some now for the grandkids that I am thoroughly enjoying in my life currently. That's great to hear. Now, also, um, in visiting with your sisters, do you also still visit with your dad a lot? I do. I am fortunate enough of the four of us girls to live close to him. He lives uh, about 20 minutes if there's not traffic, uh, more more like 30 most of the time away, but that's not too far. Um, I have one sister who lives in Orange County, and it's an hour and a half to get to his house, and two sisters that are out of state. So I probably see him more than any of my sisters uh, get to, and that's, that's great because, you know, my mom passed away three years ago, and he's uh, they're doing great and staying busy, but um, I, you know, it's great to be able to go over and give him a hug and make sure he's doing okay. Oh, that's beautiful. That, that's a great thing to have still in your life. It is. It is. I, I realize how fortunate I am. A lot of people don't have any of their parents still, and and uh, it's a source of uh, lament for them. But I'm I'm. You know, I've ha had both of my parents around into my 60s, which is incredible. Just amazing. Now, what do you think, uh, you know, in your career that is the next thing you want to accomplish? Is there something that you have next on your, your, your uh, goals as, as a, as a uh, performer? Well, um, I am working on a new show we're putting together uh, for, you know, just live stage performance. Uh, and, I, you know, that's that always seems to be, you know, you're working on the next thing. Um, I would love to do more recording. I love being in the studio. I would love the opportunity to do more theater, as I've said to you guys, that I just uh, find that to be uh, just the most joyful uh thing in the world to travel around or even just, you know, you know, from my mouth to God's ears, I'd love to be in, in on Broadway again. <laughs> oh, wow. uh, that would be great. Um, and again, I'd love to get busy in on a new children's book. Um, and, you know, any kind of acting is, is always, you know, I'm always looking and auditioning and, you know, trying to keep the ball rolling in all of those different areas. Where do you think music is going next uh, for especially looking at today's music versus how older music is coming back as very popular? What is your take on all that? Like seeing this popularity of older music and different genres really doing better than new music? 
Well, you know, I, I think that because we live in this digital age now and, and all kinds of music have become so easily accessible and able to find their audience, you know, it used to be sort of whatever was on Top 40 radio was sort of what was happening in music. Um, but that isn't the case. It, you know, it has expanded over the decades that I've been involved in music so that everyone can find the kind of music that they love. Um, and, and so it's sort of like things have just exploded and there are opportunities for any kind of music, um, that you, you know, love to make. So, um, you know, it, it, it took a while for people to, to kind of get used to this explosion and new ways of creating things and not necessarily needing a record company and their money, you know, to, to get your music out there. Um, so it, you know, it's a, it's a wild, wild west, uh, right now. Um, and f for me, it, it's great because, you know, you never really had much opportunity as you aged in this industry. Um, but, but now there's, there's opportunities for kids who are recording from their phones <laughs> in their own right. rooms at home. Um, you know, to people like me who, you know, a, a grandmother who still has the opportunity to have her music heard and distributed out there digitally, um, you know, I'm, I'm just grateful that people still want to hear what it is that I'm doing. That's great. Now, I did notice that you have DebbieBoon.com where they can purchase Swing This on iTunes. Uh, you have your Twitter uh, there. Mm -hmm. other media, Instagram. Is there anywhere else that anyone can go to find you? Um, you, you know, the regular social media platforms, but um, any of the, you know, major streaming platforms uh, now can uh, hear this new, you know, record because of Time Life. Um, and uh, a lot of my stuff is, is out there on all the streaming platforms. So uh, it, it's, not, it's not really hard to find it. Uh, and that's what I'm so grateful for these days is that anybody who has a, a phone or a computer, you know, can, can find me out there now. Um, but yeah, my, the, the, the website is there to let people know where I'm uh, performing and how to get my music. Although I think I need to work on my links. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> uh, well, we appreciate you coming by and uh, it was a great conversation and there's definitely lots of stories to tell. So I'll we'll have to bring you back on again, especially when you have new projects to promote and everyone needs to remind, uh, check out time life, especially for giving uh, this opportunity to get your music out there to more platforms and stuff. So we appreciate you coming by. Well, thank you guys. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Debbie. Thank you, Debbie. All right. You're listening to The Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. Hi, everyone, and welcome to The Neil Haley Show. And we're working again with uh, my co-host, Juan Aliman of the 80s Hour Podcast. Juan, how are you, man? What's going I'm on? I'm doing great. Had a great weekend. So uh, how are you? I'm doing great. And I know you're excited about our guest, especially how she's really big time 80s for sure. So go ahead and introduce our guest. Oh, most definitely. I um, When you told me, I got super excited and I did all this research because I wanted to have some good questions for her. But today we're interviews, we're interviewing uh, a lead singer of Missing Persons, Dale Bozio. How are you today, Dale? Hey, thank you very much. It's very nice to, to be here and, and to have your time to chat today. Thank you. 
Yes, I'm, I'm great. Super good. You um, have an interesting career. You have a long, very long career between acting, writing music, singing music, uh, performing in, in tours around the world, and everything that you've done. What what made you know that this was for you? To, I mean, at the very beginning, because you went to school for you to study drama. But uh, from what I found out, it, you know, you didn't like it that much. So what made you go into music? What made you decide that avenue? Well, it was it was all Frank Zappa. I mean, really, I, I didn't really want to be a singer. I didn't think that I did anyway, not um, at the time. I, I love it now, of course. I, I'm, I'm enthralled and so grateful that I have uh, the pipes. But I, um, if it was all because of Frank. I ran into Frank Zappa and um, I had gone to California to, to, to work for um, Hugh Hefner at the mansion and I was expecting to move in. But when I got there, he did not come downstairs to talk to me and he acted really strange. He was waving me upstairs with his pipe. So I left and I le and, and, and ended up running into Frank Zappa that day. And Frank asked me to, to be this girl, Mary, on Joe's garage, which now is infamous, but I, I know. <laughs> I said, Frank, I don't know how to sing. I came to Hollywood to be a movie star. And he just cracked up laughing. He, he started laughing hysterically. And he, he, he looked at me in this like awkward way, and I, I knew he believed me. <laughs> that, was, that was the real funny part of it. <laughs> he believed me <laughs> because I was really serious. I really I wanted to be a movie star, and and then it, that didn't work out. So he thought that was just the funniest thing ever, and it went on from there. I, that that was my relationship with Frank. We, I mean, I I would crack joke jokes, and Frank would laugh. <laughs> the, so so interesting when you talk about uh, Dale about Frank and stuff. Uh, would you say he really was such a big integral part of you in your career in a lot of ways? Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. He 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 was the string really that 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 thread me together and in such a strange way because when i met frank i i wasn't thinking anything you know about frank i i just loved him and wanted to say hello to him i never thought oh yeah i gotta go i gotta go meet frank i gotta go be in frank's band no that was not on my mind uh it was just a matter of reflecting it his music and other than that um was so when this one step led to another with me being in the joe's garage and then then i had a really a, a tragic accident i was only in la for six months i was 21 years old i made that record with frank and saying i don't want to get drafted with frank um and and then pretty much uh, i had a terrible accident I was only in LA for six months. I was 21 years old. And then um, I fell out a window 40 feet 
and I woke up and I was in Frank's living room <laughs> and um, I was slipping in and out of a coma, <clears throat> but Frank's wife, Gail, took me in and uh, wow. I, was, I, I was really, I had fallen 40 feet out of a window and split my head open and cracked my ribs and my kneecaps. So I was pretty uh, out of it uh, for a while. <clears throat> and it took me a long time to recover. So it was Frank so every time that, and then I woke up. Uh, he, he sort of strung me together because then I woke up back and I was in Boston. I had got off life support machine and all this stuff, addicted to morphine and what have you. And Frank ends up in Boston playing a concert. And I and Terry called me at my home with, with my mom and told me, you know, Frank was going to be there and, and that they'd come over and visit me after the concert. So I'm like, I, I kind of somehow don't think that Frank's going to come to my house <laughs> and Medford and visit me right now. Uh -uh. Um, so make a long story short, I thought, okay, I guess I better go to the concert or I'll probably never get to see Terry and, and Frank Zapper again. And this was in, uh, I believe it was in 77. And then... Frank said, okay, I'm picking you up tomorrow and we're going to Europe and you're going to come with us on this European tour. So I went on tour with Frank just as a person, you know, just along for the ride with Terry. And of course, because I made Frank laugh and believe me, they, Frank, Frank didn't allow just anybody along with him on a tour, <laughs> especially of Europe. <clears throat> so I had to be on my best behavior. And uh, all the whole time, he would he just looked at us like there was something going on, you know. He, he was so inspiring between Terry and I, and he, he did he, he did push me to be next to Terry quite a bit. Even after we were divorced, he, he said, you know, you should get back to with Terry again, see if you can put the marriage back together. <laughs> like, I don't think it's up to me, Frank. And... And so it never really, we never got back together, but we did end up making Bing Fish together with Frank once again. And um, I just continued to sing or be professing my voice because that's where Frank led me and it stayed with me. Okay. Now you met Terry with Frank and then in 80 you started missing persons was there anyone else in missing persons that that worked with Frank or how did you meet everyone how did everyone come together to make such a great yeah, band yeah, yeah. well Patrick O'Hearn the bass player he worked with Frank as well and so did Chuck Wilde he studied with he worked with Frank for a minute too and um Terry Bonzio was with Frank and then Laurie Cucarulo was with Frank, and I made records with Frank, but never went on tour with Frank. I never went on stage with Frank. And so Frank turned to us one day and said, you should put a band together, call it the Cute Persons. <laughs> and me, Terry, and Lauren looked at each other and went, I got an album, cute. But <laughs> so they came home one day and said, okay, we got it. We'll be the missing persons. We're missing from Frank. 
and that's what we decided on. And 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 Warren was at the time playing with Frank, and he actually you know stopped playing with Frank and started playing with me and Terry. And we didn't have anything; we had nothing. We started from scratch. Wow. So, did you think that the missing persons, when you formed the band, would be something that was have the success it did? Yes, part of part of me did because I was reaching for the moon, as I do. <laughs> I have high hopes, and so yes, I'm very grateful that it did uh, work out this way. Um, about the '80s thing, uh, I never really thought about that much. So you know, in the '80s when I we did try to get these record deals from even including David Geffen they would send me a rejection letter back saying, this is not the direction of the music of the 1980s. And I would just sit there and laugh and rip off these letters. I should have saved them, but I didn't. I like just ripped them to shreds to the tiniest little pieces I could. <laughs> and so wow. they sent me a letter too. <laughs> and I said, oh, this is it. I'll call the president. And I'm telling him they made a big mistake. And I think, <laughs> and I called the president of Capitol Records and said, I'm inviting you firsthand to come to my concert. We just sold out the Santa Monica Pacific. And I know because I sold it without a record deal, without anything. You have to see and hear missing persons. And he came to the show. And as soon as the show was over, he said, he called me over and he said, Dale, I just want to tell you, you have a record deal. I'll see you tomorrow in my office. And wow. that was the way, that's how it started. And that gave me so much ammunition in, in my prowess to just go further and further and further. And every step I took with missing persons, I pushed it a little bit over the edge because I knew I was being supported by geniuses, geniuses. Terry Bozio, Patrick O'Hearn, Warren Cucalulo, Frank Zappa, who gave us his studio, brand new studio, said, go get Ken Scott, who just finished doing the, the, the production of, of Red uh, Let's Dance by David Bowie, and get, get Ken Scott, come in here, use our brand new Kurtz Wild. I mean, come on, this is back in 79, so we're going back a while, right? There were recording studios, and you had to do this from the beginning to the end. There wasn't, you know, turn on the, the computer baloney. So we really went to work, and Frank said, use my studio, take it over, get it done. I'll see you when I come back in a few days from New York, and... I'll listen to it. And we did. And we did. And we took this <laughs> very seriously into heart. And those songs are hits today. And those songs went on from Frank's studio that he gave us for free that day, that weekend. And, and for his whole life, what he gave us. He gave us the stage. He, he, he shared his whole support system with Terry Warren and I. We need to visit his grave. On, on a regular basis, Terry Warren and I, and, and meet there, but they won't. I've asked them before to meet me there, but they won't, and they don't. I'm, I'm much more compassionate than my fellow friends, and I'll, I'll keep it that way, because it, it, it floats my boat. I, I, I love to be 
in remembering of the ones I love. And that's one of my greatest loves is Frank. And he was only my friend. He kissed me on the forehead three times in my life. He kissed my son, Shane, on the forehead when he was one year old. He stopped the, the, the 27 piece harmonic orchestra to come and kiss him on the forehead and sing him happy birthday that day. It blew my mind, blew my mind. Wow. He was only my friend. He was only my friend. That was it. And I know, I know he loved me. I know he, I know he loved me as a human being. <clears throat> and he was the only person I know that could <laughs> uncommittingly love you. Really, really. So I admire his children. And, you know, I wish them great, great wellness and, and peace of mind, knowing that their father was such an incredible genius. I, I That's a beautiful think. sentiment right there, Dale. Um, after Missing Persons, because we talked a, a bit about Missing Persons, but you had a solo album called Riot in English that uh, you did on the Paisley Park album. I mean, on the Paisley Park label. What was it like working with Prince? You know, I didn't work with Prince. That's the thing. Um, wow. We had, we had a love affair, but we didn't work together. He wrote a song for me. Um, I've never been to Paisley Park. Um, he wrote a song for me called So Strong. It's mm -hmm. really beautiful. It's on uh, Riot in English. But I never went to Paisley. He never worked on my records. He didn't sing on my records or play on my records or anything. He gave me his engineer, Coke, and all his guitars and his drums over at the studio, Sunset Sound. And I went in there for a couple of days and made my first song simon simon and then i continued to record there and uh he loved it he jumped up and down he made a big giant billboard that said dale bozio for president and he he loved it he loved it and he loved me i know he did he was you know he was a sensitive kind of guy and so he he did have a bit of a attitude or some sort or something um they're very delicate very delicate guy i i i know the world loves him you know and and me too so and his music is is historic i mean there's not there's not much you can say um <laughs> bad about him you know he sees he's had his loves of life and such and so so but, you know, man is not really measured by his money or women, or are they? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, so how did you first meet Prince? Well, I, I went to this place called Tramp, Tramps. It was a club at the Beverly Center in Los Angeles. It was big, you know, hot, new club uh dancing place and my friend jamie shoot was my manager and his manager and some other people's managers as a matter of fact um she was with cavallo ruffalo and fognoli and they managed prince and she said oh, if you one of these nights go with this club tramps i guarantee you're gonna run into prince and I said, oh, okay, sure, fine. And I had happened to have a membership there with my friend, Philip Ehrlich, already. 
So I had heard that he was frolicking there. And so it was just kind of one of the same old nights, you know, got dressed up, went Saturday night, go, go to Tramps, <laughs> like midnight. So I walked into Tramps with all my friends. Um, and there I saw Prince standing over by the side and with two big giant bodyguards, he was by himself. I just traipsed right over to him. I poked him on the nose and I, his bodyguard lurched at me and he said, it's all right. And I, he said, you just poked me on the nose. I said, I did, I did, I did because I wanted to get your attention. I, I was going to ask you to dance, but I didn't think you'd answer me. So do you want to? He just did like a 360 turnaround, like one of his like little steps and went to where the music was playing, which I knew was the dance floor. And what did they flip on? Little red Corvette, right? Okay. Oh, so wow. All like, you know, cliche is this. And, uh, then immediately he couldn't he couldn't dance to it. He 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 was like, I'm not he, he couldn't do it. You know, it was someone else's song on before that, like cameo or something. And he was all ready to get up and, and just be a regular dancing person. But as soon as they flipped it onto his song, he he walked off the stage. He walked off the dance floor. And I followed him and we sat down and we said, Do you want something to drink? I said, Yes, please, champagne. Champagne came right over. He leaned over to me and he said, do you have a car? I said, I do have a car. He said, what kind of a car do you have? I said, I have a red Corvette. And he said, okay, will you take me for a ride? I said, yeah, I'll take you for a ride. He said, now? I said, absolutely. So we barely touched the champagne. I had like one sip of champagne. I wasn't drunk or anything, but I was pretty high on cocaine. That's for sure. So we go out and get my car and he comes around and follows me in this limousine jumps out of the limousine and gets in my drive in, in the passenger side <clears throat> and he says could you could you drive me really fast now <clears throat> i looked at him and i said you're talking to me <laughs> <laughs> i definitely drive you really fast <laughs> and i just stepped on it i was at the corner i don't know if you know california much but it was about, I don't know, a couple of miles. I went down the road. I, I, I was about at almost at 120, and he screamed, stop, at the top of his lungs, literally. He, he got scared. I, I finally scared him. I, I wasn't going to stop because I, you know, I don't, I loved, I loved the speed at the time. I mean, I, I, I love, <laughs> I would be, I'm the first one to say, what did you want to be when you grew up? a drag racer, a race car driver, you know, like, so I, I really, I, I really, um, I love cars anyway. I really love cars. Okay. So, now um, there is something that I've read about you. And that's, and that's, uh, that's how I met him. Okay. Now there's something I read about you being called the original Lady Gaga or Gwen Stefani or whatever, you know, so, uh, someone who came after you. What do you feel about, you know, that when somebody says you're the original and, you know, then they say oh, a name like Lady Gaga or Gwen Stefani? Or... I, don't I don't know. I don't understand those compliments or uh, comments. Compliment. I find them as compliments. 
I don't yes. I don't find anybody that copies anything to be strange. I, I think that's that's a very nice compliment and that's all good. Yeah. That's beautiful. Now you do have uh, coming out now your biography, your autobiography, Life is So Strange, Missing Persons, Frank Zappa, Prince, and Beyond. Can you tell us a bit about that? Well, that's a lot of what I just told you is pretty much, <laughs> you know, and I do have a lot of poems here in the book. I dedicate them to a couple of people. One is to Warren and one is to Frank Zappa and really endearing to me. And I have a chapter in there that says um, uh, all about uh, my loves and lost, (laughs) loved and lost, as they would say. And um, I had a lot of very nice um, dates and friends and uh, loves uh, on the way. I was in love with Jackie Jackson for quite a long time and some crazy stuff happened with his family that I really had to um, separate myself from him. So I write a little bit about that and then um, I write about, well, of course, Prince, my relationship with him. I I write about that too. I, I have quite a bit about Prince because I, I, I felt his spirit in a real different way. <clears throat> and I think that, he, that that needs to be respected as long as well as all the uh, women that spent time with him and, the, and his musicians. You know, it's just, you, you have to respect that loyalty because it takes a lot of uh, patience. And when you work for someone else in the music business, it's not your own thing. You know, you you, you got to do it their way. And that's uh, that, that's not very natural to you in general. Right. So I was able to be gifted enough to have my, able to be, do my own music, you know, as well. When uh, Prince gave me that deal, that record deal. And, and as, as I say, I just wanted to recap that that he had written a song called Bonnie called So Strong. And it's such a beautiful song. It's the melody, it's just, it makes you cry. Um, and I listened to it when he passed away and I realized he wrote the song about me. The whole time I was thinking he wrote it about himself but I'm singing it, thinking, wow, so I didn't sing it so you know, I, I don't know. I, I just had an edge about me when I sang it because I thought, you know, God, this, this guy's got a lot of balls <laughs> singing this song about him. And then I realized when I really opened my mind that he was talking about me. Wow. So so powerful stuff for sure in your book. And where's the best place we can purchase it and stuff? Where can we go? Oh, well, you know, I have a lot of friends on the Facebook so I'm on there, uh, facebook.com slash Dale Bozio. And I have uh, the books I can send autographed uh, to you or your friends, whatever it is. And then, you know, some records and the eight by tens, you know, like rock stars do. You know, I have that going on. <laughs> 
a little bit more. And, you know, are, are you still performing? Are you doing any performing? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I just played three shows this week uh, for my birthday. My, me and my son, we have the same birthday, March 2nd. So I played a few shows this week at the Canyon Clubs, and I'm going to play at the Whiskey in June out here in California. And I have a tour with the uh, Lost 80s, probably all the way to New York, Florida, Boston. going to go a lot of places this year. Because I, I say, you know, why not? Why not know that everything is a little bit eased up on the people and uh, things are better in the world? We'll continue to get better. Absolutely. And one, one best place we can find info on you. Uh, best place to find info on me is pictureperfectpodcasts.com. And you can see both my shows on there. You can go to my Shopify page if you're interested in any merchandise and also learning about me or sending me an email about anything that you might have heard or with suggestions for a show. All right. Fantastic. You know, Dale, I tell you the stories that you've been able to tell you, people got to purchase the book. You just gave us snapshots of what to expect uh, reading your book. And I think the thing that also is interesting, you talked about the, the drug issues that you had in the 80s. How long did it take you to beat that, especially the cocaine and stuff? You know, that was it was so easy to, to take drugs in the 80s, you didn't even have to buy it, you know? People just had drugs. It wasn't like now. And and, and everything was so, so uh, I don't know, corporate maybe, you know? Like, really, everything's out of control. Uh, you pay, I mean, weed is legal, but you got to pay taxes beyond belief. I could have bought a house with the amount of taxes you pay. <laughs> You know, yeah. I mean, it's insane. So I don't know one, you know, does one hand wash the other. So the drugs were heavy and, and so was the liquor, you know, and I was a Playboy bunny <clears throat> at 18 years old. <laughs> what do you think I was doing? I was oh. drinking cognac. Okay. I was drinking cognac since I'm 18. No oh. way, Jose. When I met Frank and he had Napoleon the 18th for us for New Year's Eve. Oh, forget about it. <laughs> oh, wow. All right. Well, there's lots yeah. of stories to tell for sure. People need to purchase your book. I appreciate you. I appreciate Juan. And thanks, guys, for coming on again on the show. You're so Thank great. You. Belated happy birthday, Dale. You guys, I love you so much. All right. God take care, Dale. You. Thanks for coming All on. Right. All right. You're God listening and watching the Neil Haley Show. And we'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley Show here on the Total Celebrity segment, and I'm excited to welcome the program, Joe DeSena from No Retreat Business Boot Camp. How are you, Joe? Thanks for stopping by, man. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. I'm excited to talk to you today, even though it's a Monday morning, you know how we're getting the whole week together, goals to plan, all those different things. Now, Joe, did you think that what you created and what you've built would come to this point now where you have your own TV show and things like that when you started out in this? I did not. I did not think that. I figured maybe there were 50,000 lunatics around the world that would engage in doing tough stuff, you know, climbing mountains, getting outside in the rain. Not even that tough if we think back to the 1800s, but in today's world, doing tough stuff. And it turned out we had 10 million people do it. I did not expect to hit 10 million people. I did not expect a CNBC television show. So clearly the world wants a little more tough in their life. So how did that all start? Explain how that started, how you came up with this tough in their lives. And I think it's such a great thing because it's great 
bonding for a company to have to 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 struggle together and go through all this process, but it also teaches you specifically how important our health is, how important it is to be healthy and be able to tackle and accomplish things that are sometimes insurmountable in a lot of ways. Well, you know, most companies don't make it. 95% of companies fail, number one. Number two, we just all went through COVID globally. And so I think we now hopefully understand the importance of staying fit and healthy. So companies need it. Humans need it, um, but yet, yet what we're being sold all day, every day, and what we're addicted to is our phones, right. is junk food, is the couch. It's a mini series all over, you know, the TV shows. Like, so these are, these are not things that we should be engaging in 24 um, seven. So it's a tough sell, uh, but the good news is we're doing it. CNBC bought in. And, and it makes people better and companies better because of it. So Joe, from th that process, like I was asking how it started for you before even the boot camp. how did that happen? Can you explain that? Mom, mom uh, back in the 1970s found yoga, meditation, health food when it wasn't cool. There were no yoga magazines or yoga. There was no Lululemon back then. She found it and um, introduced me to a 3,100 mile race around a one mile loop in Queens, New York that still exists today. She showed my sister and I this race to show us the power of the human mind, what people are capable of. And uh, so somewhere deep down in my subconscious, I remembered this event, became a normal person, ended up on Wall Street, sat at a desk, got nice and plump, did all my dinners at night trying to convince people to do business with me and then remembered all the things my mom was saying. And I said, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pivot here. And I started, doing, I started doing long distance races. I started doing a lot of yoga and I started bringing my clients and future and potential clients out to do this stuff with me. My business exploded because of it. I became branded as this crazy extreme wellness guy and um, ultimately bought a farm in Vermont and started doing it for other companies. Wow. And so how important is a brand? You wouldn't have a show today if it wasn't for your brand. That's no doubt about it. I mean, we got really lucky choosing the name Spartan, right? Because when we hear that word, it, it creates an image in our minds that we all get. We all want to, we all want to say a little less, eat a little less, work a little harder like the Spartans did. And, um, and it became this brand in 45 countries. There's no doubt about it. When I sat down with the the CEO of CNBC, I don't think he would have been as excited if it wasn't, uh, if there wasn't a tie to the Spartan brand. Uh, so that's good. And the other thing to remember is um, we've got races all over the world. So if a company can't afford to come on the farm and be on the show, just go out and do a race, crawl into barbed wire together. Absolutely. So let's, uh, let's, let's jump, jump into the next thing, uh, Joe, the show. Tell us more about the show. The show takes a company, we, go, we dive in, I get to spend time at their offices and, and see what their three main issues are. Every company has issues. Uh, Spartan would be lucky if we only had three issues. I got 50 issues at all times I'm dealing with. We, you know, all CEOs do. And, but those issues we tend to not confront. They're the 800 pound you know, elephants in the room and we, we go around them, we go under them, but we don't, we don't deal with them. We might listen to a podcast, we might read Harvard Business Review or take some business advice from a consultant, but, but we don't do the hard work. And so I take that team, that company up to the farm 
and I force them to do the hard work. And, and in doing so with my team, I've got a, a psychologist and I got a, a young business guru that works at Mark Cuban with my team. We, um, we transform these companies. Yeah. And that transformation is such an important thing. And do you spot when you get them to the boot camp where what they're missing in their team elements? That's very easy to spot, right? When they all get here, say, oh, do we really have to be here? And then you see, is the leadership lacking, right? Because that's such an important thing to have a leader that can that everyone is willing to follow, but also believes in their mission and vision. There's no, there's no doubt about it. I mean, on the farm, like I said, it shines a mirror in your, in your face. We see the blind spots immediately. We, f we figure out what, what's going on here. And, and we get to show the entrepreneur. We get to show the leaders of the company um, under stress. Under stress is always best. Uh, what's going on? Where they could level up? And surprisingly, even surprising for me, and, and I believe CNBC, when we check in with those companies three months later, they're literally going through the transformation. Like it is an incredibly powerful process. And that's the thing, because so many people don't want to be employees anymore. This is the other important part of it, that the, the leadership team has to learn from doing the same things as everyone else is doing, that, wow, I'm really going to start to think of them more than just an employee. That's another goal of, I'm sure, what you do with your boot camp. No, no, no doubt about it. Um, the more we can make everybody feel included, the more we can make everybody feel powerful, the harder they're going to work, the harder they're going to chase the mission. And, um, but who knows? You know, we don't know. We don't know what issue um, that company is dealing with that is their main issue. Uh, like I said, every company has them, but uh, they're all different. Some, some companies, uh, they don't have uh, processes and procedures in place. Others have a, a team dynamic that's going on, communication breakdowns, poor leadership, go down the list. Um, but whatever it is, they typically have been dealing with it for a long time and haven't faced it. See, and that's the thing. And, they are, and the leadership, the upper management, the owner, who are the people that participate in this? Are these smaller businesses or, or larger businesses? That Both. I mean, on the farm, um, prior to the show even becoming a thing, we've had the Googles, we've had the Facebooks, we've had the Nikes, the Reeboks, the Goldman Sachs, go down the list. Um, for the show, we had some big ones, and then we got really little ones. So um, hard for a company to raise their hand and say, I want to be part of this because they don't know how they're going to quote unquote look. Right. And, that, and that's a big that's a big failure point for all of us as human beings and businesses and families. Like when we're more concerned with how we're going to look than actually doing a good job, then, you know, we got trouble. Because when you're trying to hide the problems that are happening with your company, it just will get worse and worse and then boil to a boiling point that if they're going to survive or not survive in so many ways. There's no doubt about it. Think about it in your own life. If you if you keep repressing, you know, pushing down the issue at hand and not addressing it, it gets worse. Doesn't get better. So I'm sure you've gotten to view some of the episodes already filmed. How how happy have you been with the process and everything? We we love them. Um, my wife is is skeptical because she's been listening to me scream and motivate or try to motivate the family for twenty years, and so she's had enough of me. So now she's got to see it on TV. She's like, oh my god, I got PTSD. I can't. I got you in the room, and then I got the on TV. It just doesn't end. And that intensity of going through all this and then seeing the process, the, the transformation, makes you very happy, right? You have a mission 
that you've created. You've created a business that brings a mission to help people, help businesses and help their health and lifestyle. That's got to feel great for you. Feels great for me. It's my purpose in life. I hate anybody wasting um, their potential. And so my goal is to, to squeeze and extract all the potential out of every living creature on this planet. So I'm sure now you're even getting more inquiries.